This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with By Heart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is By Heart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. Additional terms and conditions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. If you're deciding to serve dessert, you're deciding to serve dessert. Your child doesn't need to perform in order to earn it. Hey, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. And this is Didn't I Just Feed You? A podcast about feeding families because, man, kids need to eat a lot. And frequently, too. Hey, Megan. Hi, Stacy. How are you? OMG. <laughs> That's how you are? Yes, that is. It's been a good one, huh? Actual word. What's going on over there? I feel like I should say that we usually record episodes in the morning before either of us like start our work days, and tonight we're recording after hours. Yeah, I'm totally wasted right now. So, (laughs) (laughs) except I'm so not. But so you may (laughs) hear my children. You may, you may hear my children trying for their dinner. Also, I'm like sitting down to record post like crazy dinner time. Do you know what I mean? Like when you're, no one wants to, everyone's like clamoring for snacks. Yeah. While you're trying to make dinner. Like literally my daughter's pulling the chair over to the counter to climb up onto the counter and get ingredients to make herself a peanut butter and jelly while I'm cooking dinner. Yep. And my son, my almost four-year-old son, had a complete meltdown because we wouldn't let him have any snacks before Aww. dinner. And then the edamame that I steamed was too hot for him to eat. And so it was just like complete craziness. They've, they've all eaten now and like it's fine. It's just, you know, that thing where everyone's like totally hangry. I had just come home from an appointment and I was like, I'm really quickly going to throw dinner together. And like, it really only took 20 minutes. But at that point, everyone was already like so hungry that it was kind of like a show. Dinner was a show. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. Uh, But I'm just going to try and laugh about it. I mean, what else can you do, Meg? (laughs) That's the only thing you can do. And I should say that yesterday, Sunday dinner, we had like the most peaceful, lovely family dinner. So I feel like it's just the universe being like, 
hey, check yourself before you wreck yourself. We're going to get it all, keep it all in balance. You're going to have one really great dinner and you're going to have one really just wackadoodle dinner this week. I'll totally. You know what happens to us? Sometimes over the weekends, we do these like TV night dinners mm-hmm. where we're just like, let's have fun. Like, let's loosen the rules. Let's be casual. You know, you think that like you give, you loosen the rules and then that's like, oh, thanks. And then like they're energized to go back to like following the rules until nope. next weekend. Nope. You loosen the rules and then it's like everything sucks because you don't loosen the rules every night. Yeah. They know how good like, it could be. They don't right. Know that. Well, like, ugh, like, well, am I supposed to never loosen the rules now? Every night, like, sucks because I'm not loosening the rules every night. Which kind of <laughs> brings us to our subject. <laughs> Strangely, it does, though, right? Because we have um, expert Jill Castle to the, on today's show, and she is going to talk to us about rules around sugar and if sugar is really as bad as maybe we think it is. And it's our second part in our three-part series about sugar or the sugar beast as we're sometimes calling it, sneaky sugar. Yeah. So I'm actually really loving this conversation. I think it's a really good one. We've had a couple of these like multi-part series. This one's really interesting to me though, because I feel like in our others, we make, it's really important to us that didn't I just feed you is a non-judgment zone. But even so, you and I have always had our own really clear opinions. And um, this sugar topic's a really interesting one because it's a non-judgment zone. But you and I, like, we have some same opinions, some different opinions. I feel like we're kind of not clear. Like, we yeah, have we changing have opinions. We have questions yep. just like our listeners do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a really interesting one. So anyway, before we dive into this really, really great interview with Jill Castle, who we loved talking to so much, we're going to talk about what we're digging. So every week, Megan and I share one new kitchen food or thing that we're loving. It can be a product, a trick, a technique, anything that's making life easier or more delicious in the kitchen. So Megan, you're up this week. What are you digging? Oh, it's very appropriate for an episode where we're talking about sugar because my own sweet tooth gets the best of me and I pretty much always have a chocolate bar stashed in our pantry, like a good chocolate bar that I don't share with anyone. I eat (laughs) when I'm alone. Oh my gosh, this makes me sound like a chocolate hoarder, which I might be, but I <laughs> have recently fallen in love with this Huckleberry chocolate bar from a company that's based here in Boise, Idaho, where I live. It's called Happy Day Brands. And usually I like, I lean towards more like salty, sweet chocolate bars or like coffee, like the darker, the better chocolate bar. But this Huckleberry chocolate bar is like a fruit flavored one, which I'm usually not drawn to, but it's like the perfect little like sweet and a little bit tart combination. And I'm just like very into it. And I would love, we should start a conversation um, in our listeners group. I would love other people's favorite chocolate bar recommendations because- I'm always um, game to try new ones and find favorites. And I keep a little list in my bullet journal of like favorite chocolate bars. Yeah. I love it. It's like a little side project 
I love it. I love it. So you mentioned our listeners group. That's on Facebook. So where didn't I just feed you on Facebook? The listeners group is just our one little private group. You have to be a listener to join us. You'll be asked a question and the answer is whiskey. There you go. We need to start burying the secret word at the end of the episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know we do. We do that. I don't know. I'm why just we kidding. Do that. So the more than the middle now. We'll the pepper it all around. Yes. Um, and I won't tell you what my favorite chocolate is here. I'll go onto the group and I'll reveal it there. I love it. But um, tell us what you so are digging this week before we dive into it. Okay. So this week I am not digging something with sugar. I'm digging another vice cheese. And I kind of forgot because I had a big hunk of delicious imported Parmesan in my fridge that was lasting for so long that I just finished using up a couple of weeks ago that another thing that I love to have on hand when I don't have a big hunk of Parmesan is Grana Padano. So Grana Padano is another hard Italian cheese that acts much like Parmesan, but is so much less expensive. And I just think that this is a really great tip. And I'm going to tell you that it is not my own. It is a tip that I learned from Lydia Bastianich, who is one of my favorite Italian cooks and cookbook authors. Um, I saw, I've seen her cook live several times and I've been to a class with her. And this is a home cooking tip that she passed to me that I love to pass on because when you're, you know, if you're using Parmesan like on a salad or if you're going to a restaurant, yes, of course you want Parmesan, the imported, the most delicious cheese of all, the king of cheeses. You never want the fake stuff in the green bottle ever, ever, ever. But if you want a more affordable, imported, hard Italian cheese that acts like Parmesan, that's going to like melt into your pasta, that's going to melt into your risotto, something that, you know, is going to give that nice, sharp, nutty flavor, but isn't going to be the star of the show, and you don't want to spend a ton of money, Grana Padano is what you want to have in your fridge waiting for you. And I have a new hunk of it waiting in my fridge, and it's very satisfying, and I love it. And that's what I'm sharing. That's what I love this week. You can also make Parmesan rind broth, like not even just throwing it in soups, but like to have to sip on and like put meatballs and ravioli in. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great thing to make risotto. Yes. Yes. Parmesan broth. I feel like we should do kind of a mini episode on Parmesan. On cheese? Yeah, we should. Yeah. But you know what? It's a perfect little lead-in because there is something that you and Jill talk about in your conversation about like reframing what is a dessert and what is a treat. And sometimes cheese can be a treat. Oh, totally. And you can pair it with something sweet. Honestly, like, you know, quince paste is like a traditional like highbrow pairing, right? Right. Like a little jam or... In my last episode, what I was digging was Greek yogurt with sour cherry. It's the same idea. You know, you get a little bit of dairy with something a little bit sweet. You know, you could do fresh ricotta instead. It's the same concept, and it's delish. All right, Stacey, enough about cheese. Introduce us to today's guest. Jill Castle is one of the nation's premier childhood nutrition experts, but more than that, she's a mom who has raised four children. And that's when the magic happens, when Jill brings together the most current research, her experience as a practitioner, and the real-life common sense that she earned from feeding her own kids. 
Jill is the author of several books, including one of her absolute favorites, The Classic Fearless Feeding. I am just so thrilled and honored to have you here. Welcome, welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You. Thanks, Stacey. It's great to be here. (laughs) I'm so excited. I have to say, I'm kind of geeking out because I have a background in child development Mm -hmm. and I have a master's from Teachers College. And I remember when I first started you know, moving away from television, which is where I originally started my career at Children's Television Workshop, and started thinking about food, which was always my passion. I grew up in restaurants. And when I got pregnant with my first son, Isaac, I was like, I want to do something with food and child development. I remember thinking, you know, this child development lens is put on so much of the things that we think about as parents. It's put Mm -hmm. on media use, how we think about play, how we think about school. And nobody is talking about the intersection of food and nutrition and child development. Mm -hmm. And then your book, Fearless Feeding, came out. And I totally geeked out over it. Uh, I just, I was like, this is genius. This is what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah. It has been on my shelf forever. At one point in my career, I was working with families in person and consulting with them. And it was always the first book recommendation I gave, no matter what they were struggling with, whether it was just, you know, how to get dinners on the table, picky eating, sensory issues, It was just, I think it's the ultimate resource for all parents, honestly. Thank you. Thank you. So I am just so glad to have you here. Well, thank you. That makes my heart sing because that was the intention behind it. Yeah, the lens of child development as it relates to children and their eating can be such a golden nugget for parents because then they can really understand why the behaviors are, they are facing these behaviors with their children and they can link them back to child development. And in the end, it makes them feel more empowered and less guilty. And um, there's a rationale behind what their children are going through. And we all know child development, as you know, it marches on. It's progressive. It's predictable. It marches on. So a lot of the stuff that children go through are phases that you really just have to handle those phases as positively as you can and help them maneuver through and on to the next phase. Absolutely. I mean, so well said. So guys, before we even get into the conversation, I want you guys to go and grab this book. And then, of course, I have talked on this podcast about my son, Isaac, who is a, like super, super into sports. Eat Like a Champion is another one of your books. And then did you say you have like eight to nine ebooks on your website as well? I do. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little writing crazy. <laughs> you are prolific. <laughs> well, people ask me, how do you decide to write? You know, what do you decide to write about? And I, I feel like I have this little vision of what people need and what is not out there for them. And so I just try to create things to, you know, serve what they what they need from starting solids to, you know, having a picky eater and wanting to help them try new foods to little cookbooks for young athletes for breakfast, for snacks, for for dinner. So they're they're uh, nothing earth shattering, but hopefully helpful to parents to make their so job helpful. easier. So we'll make sure to have in our show notes links to your books, to your site so that everybody can quickly hop on over. 
But let's get to the topic of the day because parents are always talking to Megan and I about this. Sugar, 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 the sugar beast. (laughs) And I want to start our conversation where Megan and I started the conversation with sweets and in particular dessert, right? Mm -hmm. So kids Mm -hmm. are always like, can I have dessert? And Mm -hmm. I want to know as a nutrition expert and as a mom, how do you handle sweets at home? Do you serve dessert regularly or is it a special occasion thing? Like how do you handle it? Well, I have always had my eye on sweets and dessert. I didn't grow up getting a regular dessert at home. That wasn't the way my mom handled sweets. And in fact, I love my mom and she she was an awesome mother. She always made you know family meals and uh, was really good in that department. But I remember the day that I discovered peanut M&Ms in her lingerie <laughs> drawer. And I, I think I'll... <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think I was I was 10 or 11 and I don't even don't even ask me why I was going through a lingerie drawer, but there <laughs> they were buried in I the back struck corner. I the fact that you didn't discover <laughs> M&M's, peanut M&Ms until you were 10 or 11. That's well, amazing. I had, I had discovered them, but they oh, were okay. my mom didn't, you know, my mom was of the uh, here's our budget for the week. And I think mm-hmm. it was like around $100. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to feed a family of six. She was making fresh meals. And, uh, you know, we had all the food groups. She, she was very, very good about that. But she literally would buy one package of cookies for the entire week. And her philosophy was, once these are gone, they're gone. And I'm not going back to the store until next week. I, there will be no more. And of course, with four <laughs> kids, I mean, those those cookies were gone in a day or two, yeah. flat. <laughs> so when I found the M&Ms in the, in the lingerie drawer, I was like, oh, she's holding out. These must be really special. And of course, I became focused on them. And yes. I would sneak back to her room when... She was busy, you know, in the basement folding laundry or something. I would sneak back and ha- and grab handfuls of those peanut M&Ms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and there was most definitely a psychological link that I developed, mm-hmm. I believe, around uh, sweets being uh, somewhat forbidden or somewhat extra special. And I guess a connection uh, to the fact that, you know, these were something that my mom had to protect and hide from the rest of us. Yep. So because I was raised that way, you know, the way I raised my own children with dessert, it was more of a special occasion thing. So, but I never restricted parties or celebrations or anything like that. My my philosophy has always been, I'm going to create a health haven at home. And when it came to sweets and treats, Uh, I never really packed those in the lunches. We didn't really have a scheduled dessert. However, Mm -hmm. we did have every Friday after school ice cream day. So I would pick the kids up from school and we went right to the ice cream parlor or the yogurt shop. On the weekends, you know, they played sports. We had lots of family activities where there were a lot of sweets. And so I did not regulate those. We just were very easygoing about that. And we had dessert on the weekends. There was ice cream. There were you know, cakes and cookies and pies and things of that nature. But during the work, during the work week or the school week, yeah, I didn't serve a lot. They weren't scheduled in. That was my strategy. And I think what uh, today's parents, what helps them a lot is having a strategy. And it, it's going to yeah. look different for every family. 
Some families will serve dessert every night, and that's fine. Some families won't feel comfortable with that, and that's okay too. I think the point is to have a strategy so that your kids can expect it and it's predictable and they know when to count on it. Because when it's sort of willy-nilly, it's secretive, it's forbidden, it's eliminated, then the focus starts to, to go on those foods. And what we know from the research is that when children feel restricted or experience uh, restriction in that area, they do tend to psychologically focus more on those foods. And even when they're available, lose control of their eating of them. That's so interesting. I mean, my house was definitely had this air of restriction Mm -hmm. for sure. What do you think of this idea of, you know, if you eat your vegetables, then you can have dessert? I mean, Mm -hmm. is that a form of restriction? It's actually a form of what we call rewarding. If you look at the scientific literature on feeding and you look up rewarding, Mm -hmm. uh, we know that Oftentimes, sweets and treats are used to incentivize or motivate children to eat vegetables or take another bite or finish their meal. Mm -hmm. And what the research tells us is that when we do that, we think as parents that we're driving a love and a desire for vegetables, for example, but it actually doesn't work out that way. Uh, We actually end up changing our child's food preferences because they start to value those sweets and treats and the hierarchy of food shifts. So those sweets and treats, they move to the top of the pyramid. They are they become very desirable for children. And those vegetables do not. They move lower on the pyramid. Oh no. I know. (laughs) It's so it's 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 (laughs) there is such a psychology around eating, particularly in children who are developing their food preferences and their attitudes about food, which obviously drive their actions around food. Oh my gosh, I've been doing it wrong the whole time, Jill. (laughs) I thought I was being so relaxed. I was like, oh, but if you just eat a healthy meal, then sure, like have dessert. (laughs) I know, I know. Um, That's so interesting. So my boys are eight and 11. They're obviously, you know, that's young, I get it, but it's older when you're thinking about child development Mm -hmm. and, you know, the setting of preferences can we make a shift now? I mean, Mm -hmm. especially with the 11 year old, I mean, and how can we do that? Like, does that get paired with a conversation with him where I'm explicit about, you know, like, Hey, we've been doing it this way. And I've been doing some thinking, like, I think we're going to approach it this way now where I can help him think differently about how we're going to think about like sugar and sweets. Yes, absolutely. Especially for that age, having those conversations and communicating about food openly and sharing what your philosophy is and what your strategy is and even saying, I've been doing this wrong. We're going to change things and this is what we're going to do can be really helpful, especially if you can empower your child in the decision making. One of the things that I teach families to do is uh, follow this 90-10 rule. The 90-10 rule goes like this. 90% of what children eat are nourishing, growing foods. It's your food groups, proteins, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, dairy, healthy fats. 10% are sweets and treats. So desserts, candy, cookies, soda, sugary beverages, chips, things that are fried like French fries. 
So what we want to do is we want to try and strike that balance of 90-10 on average, day in and day out. So what that shakes down to be is about one or two sweets or treats a day for, for most children. Okay. And once we sort of figure out that balance, and a lot of families will be, you know, they'll be 70-30, and it's okay. It's really hard to get to 10 if you're it's, it's hard to get to 10% fun foods if you're at 30%. So we just want to sort of inch our way there. But the key to the whole 90-10 um, rule is helping the child understand that balance and teaching him or her what 90% would look like or what foods would go in the 90% category and teaching them this 10% fun foods and allowing them to choose which fun food they will have for the day and empowering them to make those choices. So for example, you might say to your child, we're gonna change things a little bit. You know, I've noticed that we're getting a little out of control with sweets and it's not even, you know, that I'm getting out of control with sweets. I'm just noticing there's a lot of sweets in your life from going to church or going to community gatherings or sports events or school parties. There's just a lot and so we need to have a a strategy or a system for managing this. And you can teach your child this 90-10 rule and, and say to him, you know, when you are thinking about which fun foods that you wanna eat during the day, you pick the ones that matter most to you. So you might be offered a soda, but if you don't care about soda, pick water instead. If, you're, if you really want dessert that I'm offering tonight, or you know you're having ice cream after your sports banquet, you know, save yourself for the stuff that really matters to you. And so you can start to have these conversations with your children and have them sort of gravitate gradually uh, to that 90-10 rule and understand. And it empowers them to make the decisions that are, are important to them, as opposed to you and I saying, you're going to have the chocolate cake at the birthday party, and that is right. it. I mean, and I love this because one of the things for our listeners with tweens and older kids, one of the things that I'm working on in general with Isaac, who's 11, is with his behavior across the board. You know, mm -hmm. it started with screen time, but I'm realizing that we need to work on this in general. Is him enforcing his own behavior instead of me being the police? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, he recently, he'll be mortified if he ever listens to this and hears that I'm saying this, but I recently took his phone away. His phone basically has, he's only 11, but we live in New York City and sometimes he does walk, you know, a few places in like safe areas by himself or he walks from the bus stop home alone. So we gave him a phone. Almost everything on it is disabled except like his ESPN app <laughs> to mm -hmm. check scores mm -hmm. and texting and calling so he can reach me. But it was, you know, he was given, can spend this much time in the morning checking scores, you know, 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at night, checking scores, checking in with your friends, and I'm going to stop being the enforcer. Mm -hmm. If you spend longer, you may not get caught the first time or the second time, or the third time, but you'll probably eventually get caught. Mm -hmm. And then and then your phone will be taken away. Like, that's just how it works. And he did, and his phone got taken away. There was no warnings. There was no, you know, like, okay, next time, or threats, mm -hmm. or counts to three, because we really want him to start 
really like self controlling <laughs> and right. I love that this 90-10 rule gives him something to really start thinking about himself. Like, how can I regulate my own eating instead of us kind of watching over him all the time and telling him what to eat? Because right. more and more, he's going to be out there eating on his own at friend's house, you know, going out to lunch on his own in middle school soon. So right. I love how that can empower him. And for listeners with younger kids, even as you kind of enforce it along the way, it does give them this kind of runway where you can give them a rule that they can kind of own as they get older. Right. And I think, you know, you have to, I think as a parent, what works well, what I see working well is when you have a comprehensive strategy. So you're not just saying, here's a 90-10 rule, child, and you need to learn it, and this is going to be this is going to be a home run for our family. This is going to be the one thing that works. No, you have to also have a strategy for yourself as a parent. How often are you offering these foods? Yeah. When are you offering them? How are you talking about them? Are they predictable for your child so that they can count on them? Are you following through with that predictability? So that whole framework has to be there. And then, of course you know, food choices and what, what foods that you choose to serve and how you balance things. You know, if you're serving a high sugary dessert, is your meal higher in vegetables and whole grains and fruit um, on the table? You know, so you're sort of balancing that sugar with healthier options. So it's not just one little trick. And I think that unfortunately, sometimes we as parents think, just tell me what to do. And I'll do this one thing yes. and it'll work forever. <laughs> but it's this yeah. whole comprehensive strategy and, <laughs> and having a few tools in your tool belt and knowing when to pull out certain ones and relax on others and rely on some other things. But I absolutely believe that uh, we need to be communicating with our children and helping them self-regulate because they are born natural self-regulators. In the, in the manner in which we feed them, we oftentimes can unfortunately disarm that self-regulation. Mm -hmm. But we need to work hard to preserve that because that's the whole goal is to raise an adult who is self-regulated, who doesn't need somebody to tell them to go on a diet, who doesn't need somebody to tell them to stop eating, who doesn't need somebody to tell them what to eat. We want to raise kids who know that internally for themselves. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so smart. I mean, I I often say, you know, we're not trying to raise kids who love kale specifically. <laughs> we're trying to raise kids who have a good relationship with food mm -hmm. and then they'll make healthy decisions whether or not they like kale or, you know, right. specifically. Like they'll like healthy foods and they'll be able to make healthy decisions. Exactly. I just think parents get so stuck on, you know, like these are the healthy foods of the moment. Like mm -hmm. I want my kid to like this food, mm -hmm. you know, and that's really not the point. Exactly. Um, I want to quickly go back to one thing, though, that my mind is lingering on with this dessert thing, thinking mm -hmm. now more about my younger son. Okay, so let's say, you know, we change our dessert rules or thinking about your dessert rules. Like every Friday, you know, there was a dessert or on the weekends there were dessert. Moving away from this rewarding approach. Mm -hmm. So your kid, you put a well-balanced meal on their plate and they take two bites of the, you know, brown rice 
mm-hmm. and they nibble on one little piece of broccoli and they leave all the chicken, all the mm-hmm. protein. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I'm ready for Friday dessert. <laughs> it's, it's Friday ice cream time. Yes. No problem. Sure, I really- let's serve up the ice cream. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> some of your listeners might not like this answer, but I believe that we need to have a no strings attached philosophy around sweets. So if you decide- I kind of love this. This is groundbreaking. You're blowing my mind, Jill. I love it. Okay. Good. I do. I feel like when we start to attach strings to whether your child's having dessert or not, it becomes this convoluted interaction. And I really think that if you're deciding to serve dessert, you're deciding to serve dessert. Your child doesn't need to perform in order to earn it. It's just that's your day of having dessert. Now, if your child, you know, just eats a little bit of dinner and then goes for the dessert, that's the way it shakes down. If uh-huh. two hours later they're like, I'm hungry, I don't uh-huh. feel good, then you say, <laughs> you know what? Sorry, bud, you didn't have dinner. Let's make yeah. a, maybe we make a different decision next time because your body's not feeling very good right now. This is what happens when we just eat sugar or just have dessert. So um, I'm always going to serve dessert on Friday night. So you can count on it. But I think what needs to happen or what you need to think about is having a better, eating a better dinner so that you feel better later. You can always have the dessert. So just reassuring your child that, you know, dessert is part of Friday night dinner and you don't have to perform to get it. It's there. You can have it. But if you choose not to eat your dinner, you might not feel so great. And so how can you, you know, how can we make this a different outcome? How can you eat better at dinner and get your dessert? Because see, kids will worry. They worry that they're not going to get what they really want. And we don't ever want them to worry that they're going to have their dessert taken away or they have to eat more to get it. We don't want that for them because that disrupts their self-regulation. So we want to reinforce or assure them that yeah, you're, we're serving dessert on Friday no matter how you eat. If it's just ice cream you eat for dinner, then it's just ice cream. But the kitchen's closed after that. There will be no other snacks. You'll have to wait till breakfast. So those are those boundaries, those love with limits boundaries that I teach a lot on my blog and talk a lot on the podcast uh, because, you know, we want to set up that framework that I was mentioning before that, you know, your family, your children can work within your framework But it's very supportive. It allows them to make choices for themselves and allows those choices to play out. Um, And sometimes kids don't always make great choices and they don't always feel good after they make those choices. So again, bringing that conversation in to have a, a dialogue with your child about how he is feeling and why that might be that way and helping them make different decisions. I love that so much. And I and I think that it's really reassuring to hear that coming from you because I think that feeding is so emotional and mm-hmm. primal that parents when they hear that their child doesn't feel good or still feels hungry, there's something that kicks in where <laughs> parents lose their, you know, their uh, way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they just want to like solve the problem. Like they just want to like, mm-hmm. okay, what here's a bowl of cereal. Like or here, you know, they just want to make their kid feel better or feel right. full or feel sated. There's something so uh, uncomfortable for parents. Mm-hmm. And about, that is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is so true. Parents don't want their children to suffer. But if we take it back to that child development conversation, 
we empower our children when they can figure these things out for themselves. Yes. We really do. And, you know, one of the developmental stages in childhood, for example, is this ability to be capable, to have skills and to feel capable. Um, and when children feel like they can make decisions about eating and they can deal with the repercussions and then make different decisions, they actually get empowered and they start to trust themselves and they learn how to navigate other situations uh, down the road. Oh, I love that. So we keep talking about sugar mm -hmm. and these are great strategies, but why do we talk so much about sugar? Is it really the nemesis that we think it is? Is it really? I mean, there's been so much press over the last few years. I mean, some people even suggest that we should stop eating sugar altogether. Hmm. You know, is it is it really that bad for us? Well, it would be a sad world if we had to <laughs> get rid of all <laughs> I mean, the sugar, I think. Megan and I agree. <laughs> agree. I happen to love uh, dessert and sweets. Um, so do we. <laughs> I think I think what has happened though over time is that we have a lot of of hidden added sugar in our foods, our everyday foods, things that we're not really thinking are sugary foods. And not that we have to become professors in added sugar and start to really regulate that, but it does help parents to be aware of where the hidden sugar is hiding and yeah. to be able to make substitutions when they can. So, you know, there are two different types of sugar. There's added sugar, which I tell my families, it's the sugar that gets added. You know, if you're making cookies, you're adding sugar. You know, if you have coffee with sugar and cream, not that you would feed that to children, you're adding sugar. That's added sugar. There are also sugars that just naturally occur in food. And those are fruit. There's a sugar called fructose. And that's naturally occurring in fruit. Uh, there's a sugar called lactose, and that is naturally occurring in dairy products. So we're not really talking about the natural sources of sugar. We're talking about the added sources of sugar. And we do know from several studies that children are getting more and more added sugar in their diet. Um, there was a study back in 2012 that showed that children two to five were getting around 200 extra calories a day from added sugar. Whoa. 300 calories a day for six to 11-year-olds and four, 400 for the 12 to 18-year-old. Added sugar. Wow. Yeah, that's not counting what's included in fruit and milk. That's just plain old added sugar. And it's mostly coming from sugary beverages, desserts, candy, um, those those sorts of foods. The point is, you know, we do have guidelines, and that's where that 90-10 rule comes into play. The World Health Organization suggests 5% or less from added sugar. Uh, the American Heart Association and the Dietary Guidelines suggest 10% or less. So I combine fun foods. I, I use fun foods, 10% coming from, you know, sugary foods and fried foods. So it's a balance between those yeah. two. But in terms of hidden sugar... There are foods that are out there that are sources of hidden sugar. Like uh, I see a lot of families using pre-prepared meals, you know, teriyaki chicken in a bag. You just heat up yeah. and add the pasta to. Those tend to be high in added sugar. Uh, yogurts, anything that's flavored, uh, fruit added, candy on the top, those carry yes. a lot of added sugar. 
Uh, sports drinks, uh, another item that's popular with children. And I talk a lot about that in my book, Eat Like a Champion, because it is appropriate for some children to have sports drinks. But, you know, the four-year-old who's, you know, touting around a sippy cup full of sports drinks, it's not appropriate for them. Cereal, another source of added sugar. Um, I have a guide on my website that, you know, targets healthier cereals that are less than nine grams of added sugar per serving. There are foods that are out there that are hidden sources, and we need to be mindful of those because when you have a lot of those in your diet and then you have, you know, two or three sweets a day, it really does start to get into that overabundant range that we want to sort of minimize in children. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's so worth cutting out some of those sources so that you can have dessert. Exactly. <laughs> uh, at least I'd say so. That's how I would do it too. I mean, I would, I mean, yeah, exactly. I'd rather have my sugar coming from a dessert than, you know, in my chicken teriyaki. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I know yogurt is a huge one. Yeah. I was shocked. You know, I started doing research on sugar years ago because, well, I'm Greek and we eat tons of yogurt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they were just starting to put out the kids' flavored Greek yogurts back then. Mm -hmm. I know now there are tons of options, but it was a long time ago. And I was shocked at how much sugar was in them. And now I know yogurt companies are starting to work on reducing the sugar. But still, I mean, just plain Greek yogurt, and I realized that if I just thawed frozen strawberries or blueberries, Mm -hmm. they got kind of soggy and juicy, just like the fruit on the bottom of the yogurt. (laughs) Exactly. And it worked just the same. I could put a tiny bit of honey or maple syrup, you know, and then I could control the amount of sugar. Exactly. And it was just the same to my kids. And also sliced bread, Mm -hmm. I realized, had more sugar than I expected. Mm -hmm. You know, not all of them have tons, but when I was just looking to cut out sugar where I just didn't think I needed it, I was pretty surprised at how many of the commercial shelf-stable breads had sugar in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I imagine some of your listeners are sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I can't police all of the different you know, foods that I'm buying that are potentially loaded with added sugar. And my advice to families who might be feeling a little overwhelmed right at this point (laughs) would be to, you know, focus on the obvious sources of sugar, the candy, the soda, the 100% juice, treats like cookies or or cupcakes, things of that nature. Focus on those first and sort of get your strategy aligned with that. And then you can start to make substitutions and tweak the added sugar sources. You can start to buy lower sugar cereals. You can use, um, I buy Greek yogurt for my family. I get the 5% Greek yogurt, which is a higher fat content, but it's creamy, Mm -hmm. it's mild. Add frozen fruit or fresh fruit, a little bit of honey, some granola, and the, the kids love it. So- there's, there are little things that you can do to tweak that hidden sources of sugar intake. But my advice and what I see in most families is they need to cur- curtail sort of the extra sweets, the obvious sources first, and then move to uh, titrating those hidden sources. I love that. That's great. That's very manageable. Mm-hmm. So phase two, I would say, which I would say is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. What about snacks? So eight 11-year-old, an eight-year-old boy, an 11-year-old boy, both super active, Mm -hmm. both crazy, crazy 
skinny. They burn through calories like I cannot even like, keep up with them. Mm-hmm. And the snack, <laughs> their <laughs> appetite for snacks is so crazy. Mm-hmm. So – you know, the snack bar thing is just out of control. They want cliff bars. They want, you know, protein bars. And we've found a few cliff bar, cliff Z bars I get for them mm-hmm. because they just love them. And I, I just, at one point I started buying them and I was like, okay, this is, this is, I concede. I'm going to start buying cliff Z bars. <laughs> and then RX bars I really like, and I get the kid version because they're smaller Mm -hmm. and they're all natural and they only have five ingredients, but it's like packed with dates, which Mm -hmm. are very high in natural sugar. It's Mm -hmm. not added sugar, but still, and I wanted to ask you about that too, even though it's natural sugar, when you get to those those snack bars, mm-hmm. even though it's not added sugar, you're starting to get super high sugar numbers, mm-hmm. <laughs> super high grams. Mm-hmm. So what do you do about the snacks and those snack bars yeah, to so, keep the sugar down? Right. So I'm a big fan of you know combination snacks for kids. So that means more than one food group. So it might be cheese and crackers. It could be you know cereal and milk. A potato with cheese melted on top, a mini quesadilla with cheese and salsa. So I'm a big fan of real food for snacks and this combination of uh, more than one food group and definitely either a source of protein, fiber, or healthy fat in the mix because that's going to be satiating and it's going to sustain that blood sugar and keep that hunger at bay over time. So in terms of those snack bars that tend to be a little higher in sugar, even though they are, you know, the natural sugar, you can always pair those with, you know, a glass of milk or a banana, half a banana, something like that to sort of dilute out that sugar rush, which can happen. Yeah. Or with some nuts, for example. Again, you're just sort of diluting out the, the sugar as it gets processed in your body. And that can be helpful. But and does fiber help with that? It sure does. Okay. Absolutely. Great. And I, just a shout out for my dairy-free people because my older son is dairy-free. Yep. Do you have some dairy-free options for like on the go if like a cheese stick or cheese and crackers isn't an option? Yeah. I mean, if he can have nuts, nuts are always a good option, like a trail mix. You can make your own with um, dried cereal, nuts, dried fruit. And in terms of a non-dairy milk alternative that happens to be high in protein, any of those pea protein-based milks or soy milk, those have a more similar protein profile to cow's milk than any other other, uh, milk alternative out there. So I hear a lot of families using rice milk or almond milk, which... Are wonderful, but they have virtually no protein in them. So they're not going to hold the appetite uh, very much, and they're not going to really be considered a source of protein for an athlete or, you know, for for a child who you're trying to help, la- you know, help them last for two to three hours before they come back asking for more food. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the other part of having this snack strategy, because, you know, we're not only just giving snacks, we want those snacks to keep our child um, hunger-free and satisfied. For a couple hours before the next meal. So I always say to parents, if your child is coming every hour 
for another snack, you need to re- revamp your snack strategy. It's not working because a really good snack tr- strategy will help your child be okay until the next meal, two or three hours later. And I think that's really interesting because there's such a focus on sugar, but I think that part of it also, specifically with snacks, is that a lot of these high sugar snacks, part of the problem is that they're often empty calories. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of sugar and then also you don't have the fiber and protein that's going to fill the kid up mm-hmm. and keep them going exactly. so that, you know, they're just getting a sugar rush and they're not even getting full. They're going to, you know, want more food mm-hmm. and keep coming back and not be sated. Exactly. Exactly. And then probably want more sweets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> those craveable, yeah. that sugar just makes you want more sugar. It, it does because it bumps up your blood sugar and then it comes down and that kicks in your appetite hormones, and so you're hungry again. Yeah, it's just really, I always say to parents, you know, you want to stay ahead of hunger. Like, your strategies should be you want to nourish your child with the food that you serve, and you want to feed them positively because you want them to self-regulate and have a good attitude and a healthy relationship with food, but you also want to stay ahead of their hunger and teach them about hunger. So they, um, it all ties in together, but as a parent, strategically, if you can stay one step ahead of hunger, um, and you can do that with your snack strategies and your meal plans and uh, the way you time uh, your food and meal, you know, your meals and your snacks, all of that can help you tremendously stay ahead of your child's hunger while also nourishing them and staying positive with feeding. I think staying ahead of hunger is just a good rule of thumb for life in general. Yes. Yes. (laughs) For us too. me. (laughs) Just stay ahead of hunger. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, Jill, this has been so helpful. There's so much information and we're going to put the links to everything you mentioned on our show notes. And also that way people can start hopping around your site because I know there is so, so, so much more information and so many more resources there. But before we go, Megan and I like to wrap up every episode with something we call Try This at Home because we feel like we're always just talking about these big ideas and we just like to leave our listeners with a very practical piece of advice that people can implement as soon as they stop listening, like that night. So we were hoping that you could share something. And if you want to reiterate something you already shared with us, that's fine, something new. But just one, try this at home for this week that our listeners can implement, you know, related to sugar or dessert or helping their kids just become more fearless eaters. Oh, there's so much juicy stuff. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, You have to choose just one. I know. I think I'm going to spring a new one on you, though. Oh, good. Okay. So I would challenge your listeners to redefine dessert. So, so many of us think about dessert as cake and cookies and candy and things of that nature, which are fine, which are totally fine, as we've discussed. But some families are just not even 100% comfortable with that. So what I would like those families to do is redefine dessert. Dessert can be sliced strawberries with a dollop of whipped cream. It can be toast with peanut butter and a few chocolate chips on top. You can cut the sugar in recipes. And I know you're, you're a culinary expert, and so you know how to do this. But you know whenever you're baking, you can always cut you know, a quarter to a half of 
a cup of sugar out of those sweet recipes. So I would challenge your audience to take one, you know, one step in that direction, either, you know, serve up a dessert that's not your classic dessert and see how your kids respond. Um, Or if you're baking, cut the sugar and see how it turns out. I love that. And can I just add to that, if if you don't mind, if I can be so bold, that You know, I encourage people to do it once and then do it a few more times, even if it doesn't get the big, happy response that you hope for, Mm -hmm. because palettes really do change. Mm -hmm. I started doing exactly what you are talking about for myself, because of all of us in our family, I have the biggest sweet tooth. Mm -hmm. And recently, my husband pointed out that things that I used to eat all the time, I've recently started saying are way too sweet for me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. My palate has totally changed because I've been reducing the amount of sugar in my baking and just eating, you know, fewer sweets. Mm -hmm. It really like shifted without me even noticing. Yeah. And same goes for our kids. So I love that. Definitely, definitely. And we know for children, they need to taste things oftentimes seven or eight times before they really like them that way. So repeating that exposure, repeating those offerings is very powerful. I love it. Jill, thank you again so much. We appreciate your time and your expertise and all of your advice. And hopefully we can have you on again someday. Oh, that would be my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Stacey, I loved your conversation with Jill. And what I really loved was this idea of like reframing what dessert is and what a treat is. And that sometimes dessert can be as simple as a bowl of fruit or yogurt with a little bit of honey, or in your case, sour cherries or warm tea with honey. And it makes me want to check in with with our listeners about last week's Try This at Home or this week's Try This at Home. I think we're doing a pretty good job. I just want to kind of watch all the added stuff. And really where I think our weak spot is, is in those like snack bars. I think Mm -hmm. that the biggest problem for us is that um, snack bars at this point aren't filling enough for my boys after school but they have a lot of sugar and then they just want like they want a snack bar and then they want something else sweet. They don't want like carrot sticks and a snack bar. They want a snack bar and then they want something else from the snack cabinet. So that was sort of my big takeaway from the week. So I need to rethink after school snacks so that they're getting like a low sugar smoothie first or carrots first, you know, carrots and a cheese stick or hummus, something like that, and then the snack bar afterwards. I like that because that's really something you can put into practice right now. Yeah. And it's not that hard. How about hard. you guys? I am my own worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you kind of were like, uh, I'm not down from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So I started this episode talking about my new favorite candy bar, and I will fully admit that I am the person in our house who's like, ooh, we should make a batch of chocolate chip cookies after school, or we should dip pretzels in chocolate. So I'm really the instigator in my house. And I don't know that I 
have an exact solution like you do to your particular sugar problem at home. Though I will say this, we have Baker, home baker, cookbook author, radio host, Shauna Siever on next week's episode. And she's, we're going to ask her about how we can bake with less sugar at home. And I feel like that is where I need the most help. It's like, I want to make sweets with my kids. I enjoy cooking with them. And I need more ideas, honestly, of things that I can bake with them that are lower in sugar, but still feel fun. Or even just ways to reduce the sugar in the things that we do love and that we bake regularly, like cookies and little quick bread. So I'm looking forward to that because I still don't have all of my own answers yet. I love that. I think that's great. I can't wait to hear your conversation with Shauna. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, and it's a good way to end this episode. We want to thank you guys for listening today. And now that you've listened to us, we want to hear from you. Give us a shout, say hi, ask questions, or tell us what you want us to cover. You can email us always at hello at didn'tijustfeedyou.com. You can find us as at didn'tijustfeedyou on Instagram or Facebook. And while on Facebook, be sure to look out for our private Facebook group that we were talking about earlier in the episode and know that the secret, super secret question answer is whiskey. And most importantly, if you enjoyed listening to us, please tell your friends about Didn't I Just Feed You. Leave us a review on iTunes. It makes a really big difference for new podcasts like ours. And be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jamando. And also a big thank you to our editor, Jeremy, and his team at Counterweight Creative. This is Megan. And this is Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Bye.